Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Early Parenting Podcast. Today, you're going to be listening to part two of the interview that I did with the beautiful Alana Gardini, who is a pediatric physio. Now, if you haven't checked out part one, definitely start there because there was so much information all around your baby's gross motor development and your toddler's gross motor development. And of course, today we're going to be diving into part two of the interview. So I hope you enjoy. Let's do this. Welcome to the Early Parenting Podcast, where we help you navigate the somewhat tricky world of parenthood so you can love the crap out of being a mama. I'm your host, Jen Butler, and I'm an early parenting consultant and a mama of two busy, busy boys. Join me as I explore all things early parenting and deliver them to you in toddler-friendly, bite-sized lessons. Because let's be honest, your toddler is probably smothering pseudo-cream on the wall as we speak. I'll be dropping my hottest tips on baby and toddler sleep, feeding, boobs, behavior, and so much more. Are you ready to feel confident in motherhood? Let's dive in. Why don't we dive into some of these frequently specific asked frequently yeah. asked questions? Yep, that so great. I thought we're going to kick it off. You've mentioned it a few times and it sounds like it is a foundation for all things moving on. Let's kick it off with tummy time. The most frequently asked question I get is my baby hates tummy time. What can I do? It is perfectly normal for babies to hate tummy time because it is so hard for them to be in that position. And it is unfortunate because it is, like you said, the foundation for development. Tummy time, first of all, the the great things about tummy time. So obviously it is um, really important for creating that foundation. So that's where a baby will learn to move from. They'll learn how to pivot from there. They'll learn how to um, get around, you know, whether it's by commando crawling or, you know, popping up into normal crawling. And that's when it starts off the developmental trajectory, basically. So that's when they'll start pulling up into kneeling and then getting up into standing so but we want them to start from that tummy time and what we call prone mobility it is more preferred that that happens rather than getting around as a bottom shuffler so if, if a mom is listening to this or a parent is listening to this and their baby is bottom shuffling it is not the end of the world that baby is still getting around they're still exploring their environment they're still you know becoming independent and developing all those skills of resilience and you know learning you know they're still developing balance skills and body awareness that's still okay and they will still get up and learn to walk from there it's just that the advantages of getting around on their tummy are really beneficial because it is about getting weight bearing through the hands for starters. So weight bearing through the hands and through the shoulders, that is really important for later on in posture. So, you know, for, you know, sitting up at the school desk and even for creating, you know, strong hands and fingers for writing and throwing a ball and all those kind of things. So it all tracks out all these little skills that they're learning when they're really tiny and they're developing these motor patterns are really important for later on. It improves Mm -hmm. neck strength and back strength. It is really important for keeping a nice shape of the baby's head and again we'll talk about plagia carefully in a minute as well so and it also develops you know those first that first sense of balance and really big from a sensory point of view as well because they're getting all that sensory um, input from the floor onto their bellies they get they've got such a big surface area on their bellies and so you know so their skin touch points and all of that as well so Huge benefits of tummy time, but it is really hard for them. So my number one tip for mums to start a positive experience with tummy time is to start almost at day one. You really could at day one or day two Mm. in the hospital still on your chest. 
and is the nicest way to do it. Skin to skin is obviously best and that will have a whole host of other benefits as well from a bonding and breastfeeding. And, and you know, in, I talk about that in my um, first chapter of the book as well. So mm. your experience as a, you know, that transition to becoming a mum, you know, your connection with your baby is the most important thing because without you know, without that, you know, your baby's in trouble. So that tummy time on your chest is so beautiful in so many different ways. And so that's my number one tip about trying to get tummy time from the start. And that's not just with newborns, that's even with older babies as well, because your face is the most exciting, most beautiful thing to that baby. And that's how they'll learn to be like, they'll be motivated then to look up at your face. And then you can also change the recline of your body as well. So obviously when a baby is flat on the floor, they're working really hard against gravity to Mm. lift their head up and it's really distressing for them. They can't see, you know, they can't push up onto their hands yet. Their body isn't strong enough. Um, You know, they're like a floppy little rag doll placed on their belly. And so that's really hard for them. Some babies actually like it, surprisingly. Like I think some Mm -hmm. babies just like the sensory aspect of it and they'll fall asleep in that position. You know, obviously you've got a whole lot of stuff to say about that. But yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) But no, (laughs) they do. Babies can really fall asleep quite well on tummy, you know? Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there's there are some babies that don't mind it, but you know, for the majority of them don't. And so tummy time in your chest is, is one of the um, most beneficial ways and the easiest ways to get it started and start in that first week and really make a routine of it. Because if you start and make a routine and you go, okay, you know, the baby's, you know, woken up, they're having a feed, you know, you're going to play and snuggle and do whatever else. But when you're having your snuggles, why don't you lie down on your back on the couch and have baby on, on your chest at the same time? And that's part of your routine and do that every single wake cycle. So, you know, you're not just doing it at the end of the day when baby, you're going, oh my God, I've forgotten, you know, to do tummy time. It's the end of the day, baby's tired and hungry and ready for bed. And then you pop them on their tummy flat on the floor and they hate it. So, you know, just, you know, and then you've got to do it slowly, slowly. Um, and there's all sorts of different ways in my book. I've got about 20 different ways to do tummy time in my book that isn't just flat on the floor. That's mm. the key thing. Um, flat on the floor is definitely where they're going to learn all those, you know, next level gross motor skills. So pivoting around and getting up onto all fours and all that kind of stuff. But initially it just is wherever you can make it work. Love that. And that that's realistic. Like the, you know, saying I have, again, so many families, they're like, oh, they won't do the floor stuff. And it's just that lack of understanding of, well, it doesn't have to look like that for it to be effective. So chest tummy time is the best way to kick it off. Absolutely. (laughs) All right. So next one, let's talk a little bit about plagiocephaly. First of all, what is plagiocephaly? Okay. It is so common. It Mm -hmm. is the flattening of a baby's head on one side. There are different types of flattening of the skull. The reason a baby's skull flattens so easily is because it's so soft um, and is basically separated like a baby skull if you look at it on an x-ray it's like it's made up of like little platelets if you like they're called kind of little sutures and you know if you looked at them you know in an x-ray it looks like your baby split up into like lots of little plates they are there to allow for the birth process so they can squish together the baby's head becomes smaller like to allow for the birth like natural birth and then so that's why so often when a baby comes out after a vaginal delivery their head is completely mushed up in all sorts of different ways so, you know, a cone head or, you know, all sorts of fun. And that's why they always put little hats on them <laughs> when they're first born. Just I that weird that. looking for a bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, everything's fine. So that is, <laughs> that is normal. And, you know, babies will often come out with a asymmetrical head shape when they, when they first come out. That should settle down in the first few weeks. A baby's head is very good at springing back. What the problem is if a baby has um, a side preference, and that is very common for lots of different reasons as well. One, it could be because of their position in utero. 
So they could be in a position that they're always turning to one side in utero. And then if that's not corrected early on in those first you know, couple of months, they will continue to turn that to that side. And then because they're always turning to that side and because we babies spend so long on their backs to sleep now, which is obviously important from a SIDS point of view. And, you know, that's what SIDS recommendations are, is that we always place babies on the back to sleep. Again, Jen, I'm sure you've got, you know, different recommendations with all of that, but that is why now, you know, in this day and age compared to the 90s, I think it is, when the SIDS campaign was brought in. So that is why now up to... 40 something percent of babies will have some degree of flat head, um, you know, now because we all put our babies on, most of us put our babies on our back to sleep. So that is wonderful that, you know, it's reduced SIDS so much, but we do need to counteract that back sleeping by heaps of tummy time. So, you know, and parents do, we do find that because of that big campaign, a lot of parents are afraid to put their babies on their tummy at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so there had to be a bit, there was a huge campaign about like maybe 10 years ago about back to sleep and tummy to play because parents were just not putting their baby on their tummy at all, not realising that tummy time during the day was actually really important for their development. But then the other side, like we're talking about, it's really important for their head shape. You know, if there is a side preference, if you notice that your baby does have a side preference, it is really important that you do get it checked out by a paediatric physio, especially if there is like a tight neck involved. Tight necks do need to have intervention. You know, there will be stretches involved and there's lots of different, if there is just a mild, like if you can be quite confident that your baby is always looking one way, but they can look very freely back the other way if you encourage them to. If you find that there is just a very mild preference, then there might be just some really simple ways that you can change their um, side preference throughout the day. Again, in the book, I've got a huge fact sheet on that, on Plagio Carefully, what it is, um, just as a recap, and then also different ways that you can um, encourage your baby to look the other way throughout the day. One of them would be carrying them in a different way throughout the day because we all get a side, you know, we all become, um, you know, habitually we carry on one side. It always happens. And not only is that not great for your baby, it's not great for you either because obviously then your head and your neck and, you know, your shoulder and hip are all put out because you or your baby gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you know, you have, you know, a tight neck and a tight hip and um, a sore shoulder on that side as well. So, it is very difficult to, um, you know, to swap sides. And the, the other thing that I would recommend would be getting a baby carrier because that means you can be as symmetrical as possible and your baby then can be as symmetrical as possible as well. I love that. And that because I think one of the biggest things that you get is that. And, like, I'm thinking about it from a, like, feeding point of view too. Oh, yes. Tightness often have breastfeeding difficulties too or breast preference because it's yes yeah my little boy who ended yeah. up with a little bit of a flat spot on his head and he only fed from one side and it was yeah. so frustrating for me because you know I tried everything and he just would not feed on one side mm-hmm. because I think it was just that slight little tightness in his neck Max was the same. And in retrospect, like I realize now what was going on along with some other stuff that was happening, but yeah, same thing. Like my, my left side, I fed completely off my right side. I've left yeah. it down. Oh, I was the opposite. That does not make for an aesthetically pleasing chest. Just Gee, I know, I know. <laughs> Having one big gigantic boob. I was there with you, Jen. We were like opposite though. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, you, you had a good lefty, did you? Yeah. yeah. Well, the funny thing was though, that my second baby, even though he didn't have that tight neck, still ended up on the other side. And I think it was because, well, this is just me hypothesizing here that I think it was because 
Fraser had fed so much off that side, it was just ended up becoming the better functioning boo because over time, and even though it took a whole pregnancy and three, three years later, he still ended up just feeding off the one side and I was driving myself nuts. Yeah, well, you know what? You're not actually hypothesizing. Every woman has a better performing boob. Like that's just a given. But the more times you breastfeed, you actually produce more milk producing cells. Therefore, that side that you fed on would have had more than the other side. So your right side wouldn't have had as much because it didn't have as much feeding oh, on it. And I tried and so hard. You know, so I always actually... tried like feeding back on the right side first and I'd always go back to that side and it just would not, old righty, just would not work. Yeah, and that's the same. Ted still, I definitely, I did feed off both sides, but lefty was still the underperformer, you know, like, mm. and he's, it was always the right side, right side, yeah, right side preference. So yeah. It's amazing. I bet you every woman would have a similar sort of story, whether they have it worse than others. And I think this is the thing is you and I both had our first babies where there was this preference because of stuff going on. So the torticollis, the tightening of the neck. And then dot, Mm -hmm. dot, dot, you know, like, isn't it crazy just how everything does lead into, yeah, yeah. Development. We could go on on. We should. And it is another reason why you should. If there is obviously a tight neck and they can't look as well to one side, you should always get that checked out. Yeah. So anyone with young babies um, listening to, or older, like obviously it doesn't matter, but the sooner you get on top of it, the better. That's basically. Absolutely. And that's the key thing with Play Jack Carefully. If I've got a parent that comes in with a six, generally it's a six week old, like that's probably the youngest I get and there's already a flat spot. I'm always like, we've got this, you know, we'll be mm. fine in a couple of months. You know, the head, the flat spot never really gets too bad unless there's a really severe torticollis and it can be quite severe. And some, you know, in some instances we need to have ongoing treatment for a while, but in a lot of cases, if it's just a mild side preference, if you get in at six weeks, it can be completely, you know, cleared up, you know, in a couple of months. The difficult thing is if a mum comes in at six months with a baby with quite significant plagia carefully, that's really hard to fix. And there's always, you know, different options in regards to helmets and, you know, that kind of thing. But that's a much um, longer road and sometimes, you know, it doesn't fully resolve. So, um, and, you know, having said that, plagia carefully is just like it's just um, aesthetic. So it's just it doesn't affect brain development, but it is, you know, it can be quite significant. And so... You know, and it is, you know, especially I think mums worry a lot with boys as well because girls, their hair tends to grow out. But with boys, boys, you know, you can't really hide it as much if, you know, and they're always going, what if they go bald when they're older? (laughs) You probably do know people that have had, as you see adult people, that had plagiocephaly that was never resolved. And it does have that, as you said, it's that the aesthetics of it, it's prevention, isn't it? So absolutely. It's completely preventable. The only other thing I would say is that we do know there is studies to show that it is a marker for what can be developmental delay. So we always like to look out for those babies and monitor them through their first year to make sure there is no sort of issues with gross motor development, because there is, there is a bit of a, um, an ind- it could be an indicator of something early on. Oh, that's really interesting. I've just learned that. So that's really yeah. good to know, actually. There yeah. You go. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean they will, no, but we would no. like to monitor them. Yeah. yeah. It's just, and like, that's always, it's a, it's a good thing when you see those indicators and, you know, if any parent thinks, oh my God, I've got a flat spot, there's going to be all of this stuff. No, it's about no. being like, no, we're just aware. We watch for these things. The beauty is, is that when you watch for these things, you are more vigilant and then you can yes. get on top of things sooner. Like, absolutely. Uh, yeah. I love that. All right. Let's move on to crawling. Let's talk. Yeah. We, we touched upon it a little bit. Mm-hmm. So 
I guess we can just, uh, I mean, you did sort of touch on any other points to add, I guess, on the difference between the, the commando, anything to do to help to promote the four point crawling. Yeah. Babies are innately wired to move. So, you know, your baby is always going to eventually, unless there's something, you know, um, impacting the baby from a medical point of view or that there's something else going on. A baby will, you know, every baby will, will learn to move eventually. It's just that, we want to make sure we want to nurture those movement patterns. So they're healthy, typical movement patterns and not that, um, you know, not necessarily going towards the, the bottom shuffle. The bottom shuffle, like I said, is still, if you've got a bottom shuffle, it's not the end of the world. And some babies just because of their body type, or maybe, you know, you have a baby has been sat more. And this, this is the other thing that happens. So mums mm-hmm. and dads will, um, you know, really get excited when a baby starts to sit. It's a really big milestone. And every, and every mum and dad thinks that, you know, often six months is when my baby should be sitting. And that's when they really start to try to babysit their baby and they'll put them in, you know, containers, big plastic chunky seats and they'll, you know, they'll really work hard on that. And then because they're working hard on sitting, their baby sits and then that's all they do. They kind of sit them all the time. And then, and then the baby doesn't want to be on their tummy all the time because sitting is a lot easier. They can use their hands, they can interact better. And, and then, you know, there goes the cycle of bottom shuffling. What we want is, you know, for any type of prone mobility. So that's the commander crawling, the bear crawling. So bear crawling is up on the hands and the feet. Sometimes that happens as well. You know, there's all sorts of funny isometric crawls generally as physios we like symmetry you know because it is good for the body but sometimes again there's funny little crawls where a legs out the side a little crab crawl some funny things you know there are things that we can do to help correct that and promote that a lot of the time it's about symmetrical weight bearing through the legs and so one thing that i do really recommend for commando crawlers is encouraging kneeling so if they're already sort of you know commando crawling and pulling themselves up into standing but not yet crawling. Sometimes I encourage kneeling, which is that halfway point. So that then encourages even weight bearing through the knees. And then they might be more likely then to push up onto knees evenly when they're in commando crawling. Arm strength is the other part of it as well. So a baby, again, can go straight from commando crawling all the way up into pulling to stand walking and never crawl. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. But we like that time of them being able to push up onto their hands in that four point crawling because it is so great for shoulder and finger strength. So you can um, help promote crawling and I have loads of ideas in my book for that. There's a whole chapter on crawling. Uh, One in particular though I like is um, popping them in the crawl position over your thigh. So if you can imagine um, a baby uh, basically resting over your thigh or your, or your lower part of your leg in a crawl position. So if you're on, on the floor with your legs out straight, you've got a baby resting over the top of your thigh in a, in a, or like an, a four point position, and then you're supporting them with your leg and then you're playing with them on the inside of your thigh or the outside of your thigh, getting them, you know, distracted with something. That's a really good way to get them more used to popping up onto their hands and knees. Your book just sounds like such an amazing resource, by the way. Like it just sounds so good. Like to have all these things, it would take the worry out of it when you see as a parent, you're like, I'm worried about dot, dot, dot. And it's like, let's see. I've got you. I've got you, girl. I love it. All right. Let's finish off with walking. Let's talk about that as the last one. I guess the biggest thing would be is promotion of like, what is the way that obviously we have spoken about already that there's such a normal range of what, when your baby or toddler will walk. Yeah. You know, it can be anywhere. Typical development is considered anywhere between sort of eight or nine months to 18 months. And again, if your baby is 18 months and not yet walking, I would 
go and see someone just to make sure that, you know, everything's okay. It doesn't necessarily mean something is wrong. It's just you want to check up. What I always say to parents is what's the sort of broad spectrum of development looking like? You know, sometimes babies will really plateau in their gross motor skills when they're working on, say, for example, language. So Mm -hmm. they might be saying a couple of words at 18 months, you know, or they might be saying quite a lot by 18 months, but not progressing with their gross motor skills. And that might be wise because they're, you know, going on a different sort of trajectory or they might be really interested in play skills. So they might be phenomenal. I saw a little girl in the clinic yesterday, actually. Actually, it was so interesting. She, she was a twin. They were born preemie. Her twin brother started walking at 10 months. She was 16 months and still not walking. Wow. She was looking really beautiful, the way she was moving around, very typical development. And I said to the parents, you've got to remember that these two aren't identical twins. They're just like a brother and sister. So, you know, you can have that big variance with a brother and sister. It's just because it's right there in front of you. Twins are really easy to compare because, you know, they're right there in front of you. So the parents were pretty good, but they, they, you know, they, and they were acknowledging, you know, that yes, they are different. They're two different little people. They're like brother and sister, but she was so interesting because she was really into fine motor. So she was like doing all that she was stacking and she was doing all the little beads and she was doing little simple puzzles and the brother was much more gross motor driven so he was just running you know bouncing off the walls he was balls and kicking and climbing and being a bit wild and she was there she was standing she was still pulling to stand doing other things but she was doing a lot more with her fine motor skills so that just shows like what a huge difference. It was just a perfect example of like the difference between, you know, what's considered normal. I will keep an eye on this little one because, mm. you know, you know, we like to make sure that she will track along, you know, and I guess the advice I gave to these parents is she apparently was great in a little walker. And that is one of the things that I say in the book is good to do, but only when, and it sounds a bit funny, it's really only when they don't need it anymore. And I know that sounds funny, but walkers, babies can become quite reliant on them and so she would gun around with this little walker everywhere but she was really leaning on it and she wasn't able to independently take herself away from it so I would always say they look like they're really good on a walker but they're not yet you know becoming um, looking like they're ready to come away from it take away the walker and by walker I mean a walker that they can walk up to and stand up at themselves rather than you put them in them I really don't recommend and I think they might even I don't know if they're banned no they wouldn't be banned here they are banned in some countries the little spider walkers where you sit them in and they scuttle around like little crabs they're really not recommended from a developmental point of view because they can, they promote unnatural movement patterns they can promote toe walking they're quite unsafe because a baby can tumble downstairs they the baby doesn't get their normal saving reactions because they can't put their hands out in front you know they don't they don't need to put their hands out in front because you know if the if the walker topples over the tray kind of just stops the baby from, you know, from falling. So when they are walking, then they just end up falling flat on their face because they've never really learned to put their hands out. So take away, you know, those things and focus on standing. And there's, again, there's a whole chapter in the book on what you can do to promote, you know, that next stage. So it's really creating a lot of stability and dynamic movement in standing so they become almost, you know, to the point where they can squat to the floor on their own. They can twist, they can turn, even though they're still holding on, but you're not actually needing to walk with them yet. So you don't want to walk them by their hands. You don't want to walk them with a walk or anything like that, because then they end up doing all the crazy little, you know, when you hold a baby by their hands and they, you know, tiptoeing around and they're spinning around and they're not really ready. They're not steady on their feet. So you want them to get to the point where they don't need to hang on anymore almost. And then they're off. 
That is, yes, yeah, such amazing advice. I get asked about the implements and all of those things all the time because I don't think the walker would be the only one that that sort of applies to. It's the being very careful about when you're using things like jolly jumpers and yeah. you know, bumbos and all of the things that are making yeah. our babies slash toddlers do things that they're not doing yet. Absolutely. Know? And, you yeah. know, I think it's, you know, it's understandable. Parent thinks, okay, mm-hmm. a walker will help my baby to walk. Mm-hmm. And it's a fun activity for them it does help in some regard but not if they become reliant on it and so with the jolly jumper you know again i'm realistic if you have a screaming baby and the only thing that's going to settle them down chuck them in a jolly jumper for five minutes it's fine the problem is if you end up making it a routine and baby goes into jolly jumper for half an hour they go into the bumbo for half an hour they go into you know the bouncer for or the swing or whatever else what we recommend in total for baby containers, you know, we call them baby containers, is 30 minutes in total a day. And that way we know that, you know, it's not going to be detrimental to their developmental patterning. I'm realistic, you know, as a mum, I always put my baby in a bouncer when I was cooking or when I was, um, you know, in the shower. I put him in the shower with me in the bouncer with my firstborn. So, you know, it's you got to do what you got to do. Like, and if your baby, the only way they're settled, they're going to settle down is put them in a swing, put them in a swing. That's okay. Don't make a routine of it make sure they're getting loads of floor time um, so they can develop those normal patterns as well. In regards to capsules, I know we were talking about this earlier, Jen, and prams and stuff, like, again, you don't really want to have your baby in the capsule and then put in the pram and then put back in the car and then put in the house in the capsule because it's just more time in the container. As much as you can, take the baby out of the capsule, put them into their cot to sleep, like rather than just leaving them in there. Because for a newborn, they could be in, in the capsule for six hours easily. Like by the time you they have their big sleeps and their shopping trip and the car trip and everything. If you're in the car, obviously they have to be in the capsule, but as much as you can, you know, take them out. And, you know, same with pram as well. Like, you know, if you're going on a big walk with your friend, great. And, Mm. you know, if they sleep in the pram every so often, great. But just don't make a routine of it and make sure that they're getting way more of that floor time. This has been so beneficial, Alana. Like even, it's just like a refresher too of everything. Like even those defined times and everything. Like it's just, yeah, it's awesome. I'm sure that this is going to have been such an amazing interviewed oh i'm glad it's been useful that's you know i um you know that's that's my passion you know i really just want parents it's to feel how. empowered and to feel like they can you know they can support their baby through this stage without you know and i, and I guess that's the thing like without having to always you know i'm hoping i can save you know a couple of parents from having to go to a a physio or a GP and ask these questions because they are so common and just to know and feel reassured that it's all normal and, you know, all this advice can be, you know, taken away, you know, and um, they can take that back to their families and share it with their grand, you know, with their mum and with their partner. And, you know, so then, yeah, they can feel better about nurturing their baby's development. Yeah, definitely. Now tell us where can families find you and find more information about this incredible book? I am on Instagram. I am my.strong.little.body <laughs> to make it difficult. Um, I'm also on Facebook, but I'm definitely more active on Instagram um, on there. I have a website, which is mystronglittlebody.com.au. You can purchase the book directly from the website, but there are, so I also, so I have the hard copy and I have the ebook version as well. So the ebook version obviously just can be directly downloaded straight away as soon as you purchase. Um, it is also available through Amazon and iBooks as well if you're that way inclined. 
Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that information. And I'm sure that there's going to be lots of families tracking down this book. I know I'm going to be jumping on after this and tracking down the book. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jen. No, it's been a real pleasure. I've had a, I've had a really good time chatting to you today. So lovely having you. Thank you so much, Alana. Thanks, Jen. Thanks for listening to the episode, Mama. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, make sure to share the episode with a friend, with your mother's group, or tag me at Jen Butler Early Parenting on Instagram. The more that know about this podcast, the more people I can help. If you're looking for support that is personalized for your babe and tailored to your family's needs, then make sure to head on over to my website, www.jenniferbutler.com.au and check out how we can work together so you can move through motherhood with confidence. Catch you in the next episode, mama.